Thank you, Chiv. Just a note for everybody, Cindy Palmer is out today sick at home, and so we invite you and, and um, uh, please pray, invite you to pray for Cindy this morning as uh, I'm sure she's watching online. <clears throat> love, love, love. This uh, per word book in the Bible uses the word love more often than any other place in the Bible. And um, John is trying to make a point about love. And I'm going to kind of give you a little bit of how the progression of 1 John works. But first, let's talk about love in our society. I did a little research. I mean, you can find the weirdest stuff on Amazon and on Google. Um, So I googled Amazon.com. There are, you may want to write this down, 32,507 books currently in print with the word love in the title. Nobody thinks that's weird? I'm sorry? A lot of romance novels. Gotcha. (laughs) Wrong kind of love. Okay. Okay. And over 145,000 books written on the subject of love. Probably a lot of the romance novels. Um, (laughs) There are 11,000 popular CDs, albums, whatever you want to call them, uh, that that have love in the title. Most amazing, there are 121 million websites that use love as one of their keywords. Love, love, love. Man, if you can write a song about love, it's going to be in the top 100 or whatever. Um, and it's because all of us have a basic need for love. To be loved and cared for is one of our core values and needs in our lives. And, and as we are loved, we feel that value. And as we love others, we feel needed. So we sing about love, we write poems about love, we books about love, we read it. And yet the world, it seems, grows increasingly loveless. I know you see it. I'm not saying anything that there's not anybody in this room and online joining us that, that doesn't believe. It seems as though it becomes more and more rigid and loveless. The Apostle Paul reminds us, though, that in contrast to a world that grows ever more self-centered, that the unbelievable love of God and our love for each other is what changes the world. And, and I'm here, and you're here, and you're joining us online because you believe the same thing. Love makes a difference. This is what can change the world. And this is what we look at from John's letter today. Let's pray. Lord God, may the words of my mouth, may the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. Our strength, our Redeemer, may these words be your words, O oh God. And for all that I don't speak, fill in the gaps in our hearing. For all that I misspeak, O God, 
May you correct it in our hearing. Hide me behind the cross that we may see only you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. I'm going to begin with verse 16 in chapter 3. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for each other. How does God's love abide in anyone who has the world's goods and sees a brother and sister who is in need and yet refuses help? John is addressing a group of Christians in the late first century that have lost sight of what brought them together in the first place. Now, we don't know for sure, but it is, it is assumed because this letter is probably written to the churches in Greece, particularly around Ephesus, and we have Paul's letter to Ephesus. We can assume, therefore, that there is quite a bit of disunity in these churches. And the disunity revolves around their, <laughs> their focus on, <laughs> on being right and losing their sense of experiencing God's love for us through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and our love for each other. And they are divided. They have forgotten the sacrificial love that brought them together in the first place. As I look at the church today, it sounds very familiar. And John's answer to the division in this letter is to lay out carefully for them the sacrifice of Jesus, our need to believe in the Son, in Jesus as the Son of God, and the call, therefore, to love as he has loved us. Now, let's kind of see what brings us up to this point in the letter in chapter 1 and chapter 2. The focus is on light. And if you heard those sermons, light is used as a metaphor of how we live, of living in the light, living in the truth of God, living in the presence of God. Then at the end of chapter 2, he makes a transition. And he reminds those reminds us, reminds anybody that's read this letter since it was written, that we are children of God. We are part of God's family. And there is a special place for us within God's family. And it's not a biological family. It's not a family that we earn our way into. It is a family that has been given to us by what Jesus has done for us. Um... And he spells out here in these verses what the life of a child of God looks like in love. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for one another. Um, We know love. Now, the Greek word translated know there is agnokamon, which means to know, but it doesn't mean to know as if you're understanding directions to the grocery store. Christy, you know how to get to the grocery store, don't you? Can you tell anybody that? Will they understand? See, they will know how to get to the grocery store. But that's not what... John is saying here. This Greek word 
means more than just head knowledge. It means a knowledge of the heart, an all-consuming, intimate knowledge and experience. It is to know the experience, um, not just a concept. To know God in this manner, to understand God's love, is to feel the reaches of God's love down deep into our soul in such a way that it will not let us go. And by that, we are changed. And, and what is the love that changes us? The Greek word agape is translated love. And you may or may not have heard this before, but there are, in that particular day, there were four words in the Greek language for love. Today, there's actually six. Didn't know that. I knew there were four. The uh, stoge is the love of a family. Phileo is the love of, of another, a friendship love. Eros is the romance novel love, romantic love. And agape is divine love. In fact, it goes so far as to be willing to sacrifice yourself for another. Now, most of us, uh, in some way or another, have, have loved a person, maybe a child, a parent, a grandparent, that, that we feel that kind of love. We would step in front of a bus for them. We would give our life freely for them. But Jesus gives us this love for all, for everyone, not just his family, not just, his, not just Joseph and Mary, but for us, by this, we know love. And he says, and he laid down his life, and we should lay down our lives. And it's not a physical body. The Greek word there is psychin. Um, uh, from which we get the word psychology. Um, and um, in, in the Greek, it involves not just the physical, but all of life. In fact, it really is in tune with what is spiritual. The same word in Hebrew that's translated psyche is the word used to describe the breath of God that is breathed into Adam. Can you hear it? The life that Jesus laid down for us was not just his physical body. The life that Jesus laid down for us was his soul, was everything about him. And when he says that we are to lay down our lives for others, it's not just talking about our physical body. He's talking about everything. And that's tough. But by this kind of love, we are changed. We are changed. And, and John wants us to know that the magnitude of this change, and he is hoping for those churches that they will get back in touch 
with what brought them together in the first place. That they'll be reunified and joined together, maybe in spite of their differences. And you know, as I was looking at this, I realized that God's love for us through, through Jesus Christ, the sacrifice that was given to us, is a blessing. It's an undeserved blessing. And there's a passage in Genesis in chapter 12 where God says to Abraham, I have blessed you so that you may be a blessing for others. That's what John is saying here. Jesus has died for us, has loved us so much that we may love each other. Blessed to be a blessing. And I, I believe this is what changes the world. And, and I, I, I know I would not be here if I didn't believe that. I don't think you would be here. This is what we believe. And, and he continues on. He says, little children, let us love, not in word or speech, but in truth or action. In other words, <laughs> just, you know, if you're going to say something, do it. Live it. Be it. And by this, we will know that we are from the truth and will restore Reassure our hearts before him whenever our hearts condemn us. You know, it, I had to read that over and over again. I looked at the Greek and I read it again and I looked at the Greek and I realized what John is saying here is that it's not God that has condemned us. We have condemned ourselves. Our hearts condemn us. We carry guilt, remorse, regret, um, we carry uh, uh, the, the, the scars of our past. And, and what John is trying to say here is that there is a healing that takes place in our lives when we accept the gift of Jesus Christ. And that love heals our hearts so that our heart no longer condemns us. And so as we learn how to love, as we expand our ability to love, so our hearts are purified and we live in freedom. For God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Beloved, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have boldness before God. We have a direct relationship with him and if we receive, and we receive from him whatever we ask because we obey his commandments and do what he pleases, what pleases him. Um, you know, verses 19 and 24 are kind of important to note. The phrase is used by this we know. Now, if we take a look at First and Second and Third John, that phrase is an underline of what is important. By this we know. By this we know. And, and in this case, by this we know, let us love not in word or speech, but in truth and action. And, and when we take a look at, well, okay, what is truth and action? What does it mean to love not in just speech, but in truth and action? Two words there, ergo and althania, which is truth and action, ergo, action, Athenia, truth, 
And when you put them together, what they mean is moving toward the completion of what God has for us. The divine process of truth. And, and, and I, as I was reading that, I realized that as, as God is calling us and commanding us to love, God knows who we are. He knows our faults. He knows our, our, our failings. He knows um, our, 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 you know, our sin. And he knows that this is gonna be one step at a time. It's not gonna happen all at once. It is a process. By this we know that the, the truth, the action will begin to work within us. And, and then with, with verse 23, he says, and this is his commandment. And in this paragraph, commandment is used three times. And, and by the way, commandment in, in, in Greek is entole. And entole is, um, is a word that does mean commandment. But it means commandment in a positive way. Most of the time we think of commandments is thou shalt not, Right? Don't do this, don't do that, don't run out in the street and play when the cars are going back and forth. You know, don't play with the pit bull next door through the fence to bite your arm off. You know, um, this is, this Greek word indicates an objective, a positive, planned out objective. It indicates by, you know, follow Jesus' commandments, follow what Jesus considered to be important. Follow how, how, how Jesus had lived his life. And this is his commandment that we should believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So it starts with belief. It starts with faith and knowing that his love is secure. And then love one another. Just as he's commanded us just as he's made the objective for his own light and, and for us. And all those who obey his commandments abide in him and he abides in them. And by this we know that he abides in us. As we come to know Christ and accept Christ through faith, as we receive his love and experience that love that we may then know how to love each other in a different way. By this we know that God is with us. That is our assurance. Now, so I know that's been a lot. Let me just summarize real quick. First, as we experience the unconditional love of Christ, we are changed and given the ability to live in his image and to love others in a way that we never thought possible. Second, our actions should reflect the love of Christ. And as we become more and more like Christ, we have a greater and greater capacity to love. We are freed from our guilt, our resentment, our regret. And that is the greatest barrier to us really loving each other because that's where our pain is located. And then third, we should have faith in Jesus Christ and the words of Jesus Christ found in the scripture should be our objective.
objective in life more than the fragmented words of our society. And in particular, it means concrete actions of love. You know, as I was praying over this, a phrase came to me, and I began to pray it over and over again. I said, Lord, just lead me through this praise. And it was this, may we become known in our community as bold lovers of the unlovely. May we become known in our community as bold lovers of the unlovely. May we become in our community as bold lovers of the unlovely. You know, and then it just hit me that I have put boundaries on my love. I, don't misunderstand me. I'm eternally grateful for the love that God has showed me through Jesus Christ. And, and I know that I don't deserve that love. But God loves me anyway. But do I love others as God has loved me? And that's the question that this passage really poses for me. The, the passage challenges me to expand my circles um, and to not let the, the past, the regrets, the failures, the sin of the past to close those circles, but rather through the forgiveness of Christ to let those circles open so that they will include you know, others, maybe, maybe one this week or two next to whatever the process that God has put before me. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that we should put ourselves in danger by, by exposing ourselves to those who would take advantage of us, but I am saying that we should ask again and again, who needs my love today, oh God? And what ways can I mend the broken fences of my life? In what ways can I empty the baggage of my heart so that I may love more freely? In what ways can I expand the circles of love? During World War II, uh, a squad lost uh, a comrade. And they were on a, a short break from their advance and they looked for a place to bury their friend. And they found a church <laughs> surrounded by barbed wire and locked up. And as they were making their way, trying to find some way into the church, they, uh, the priest came out to meet them and he was talking through the fence and they said, we would like to bury our friend in, in your cemetery, please. And he said, is he Catholic? And they said, no, he's not. He said, then I'm sorry. Boys, this is a Catholic cemetery and only those who are Catholic can be buried here. They were disappointed, but they uh, found a place outside the fence. It began to get dark. They dug the grave, buried their friends, said some words on him, sang a song, and then made their way back to their hideout because they knew that their unit would be pulling out the next day. The next morning, they got up early. They just wanted to visit the grave one more time. And when they got to the, the barbed wire, they walked around the edge. They could not find the grave. They thought, what, what did we do? We know it was dark, but it was here somewhere. And the priest came out 
And they said, can you help us? We can't find the grave of our friend. And the priest said, you know, last night I was watching you dig the grave for your friend. I watched you as you prayed, as you sang. And my heart went out to you. And so after you left, I spent the rest of the night moving the fence to include the grave of your friend in our cemetery. I think that's what God is calling us to do. To move our fences. A foot, a yard, 10, 15, some today, some next week, just a little farther. And the more we do, the greater the capacity we will have to love the greater the capacity we will have to empty our hearts from that which holds us back. For all the songs, poems, and books that have been written on love, none of these mean anything unless we expand the fences that divide us. As we close... I want to invite you to join me in a prayer. It's called the prayer of abandonment. And, and as we do so, I want you to consider the fences of, of your life, that we may do that together. This prayer is over 100 years old. It was written at the beginning of the 20, 20th century by Charles de Foucault. I believe that's how you say it, a French monk. And as we pray, imagine placing everything completely into God's hands. And place in God's hands every situation over which you have lost control. There's no better place to leave them. Pray this prayer listening for God's direction and the assurance of God's love. And as we pray, focus on God's love and trust God so that God may show you those whom we are called to love. Let's pray. Father, I abandon myself into your hands. Make me what you will, and whatever you make of me, I thank you. I am ready for everything. I accept all. Let only your will be done in me. I wish no more than this, O Lord. I love you and give my life to you with all the love in my heart without reserve and with infinite trust I put my soul in your hands Amen we're going to move into our time of pause now and David's going to play just quietly underneath and I invite you to put both feet on the floor to feel your breathing to hear your breathing to open your hands and say Lord now what is it that you have for me today May I not leave this place empty anymore. May you fill me to overflowing. Show me, O oh God, again, your love for me and show me those whom you have called me to love.